and welcome to Outlaw Gamer Radio, the official podcast of OutlawGamers.com. This is the show where we live to play and play to live. I'm Brent Adams, joined by a man who's preparing a 37-second in-depth retrospective on just how different each of the Fast and Furious movies really are, Mr. Lauren Baumgarten. Lauren! They're not the same. They're not the same. No, and... They are not the same movie. I look forward to the 37 seconds uh, it will take for you to explain all the differences to me. The, every one of them is unique in its own way. That's right. As Starting a, with... As a snowflake. The uh, Actually, I, I don't think I've ever seen a Fast and Furious movie from beginning to end. <laughs> God, I am, I, think that, I am so jealous of you. I think that's I think that's a true story. Now, uh, although what you base that joke on, I think is pretty interesting, and so I can't wait yes. to talk about it. But Yes. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are unsubscribing from this podcast right now, because apparently... Uh, Fast and Furious is a big honking deal. If the if the weekend box office returns are to be believed, uh, this this the seventh movie, the the last one with Walker, uh, is gonna be like a billion dollar fucking film. Which number one, like I saw the first Fast and Furious film, uh, which is why I haven't watched any other since. But uh, number one for that film franchise to command that kind of uh, that kind of box office appeal and number 2 for the 7th installment to be the one that's doing it that's that's pretty remarkable so anyway i guess congratulations to the fast and furious franchise not that it's got anything yes. to do with our show but uh, uh yes and i won't be making that retrospective it's, it's not true oh, I, I i i already made it i shot it it's in the can it didn't come out the way i wanted it to um it was only it 24 took me- seconds it took me over 48 seconds to make. Um, oh, well, that's just, that defeats the point. Uh, Brent, good afternoon. Good evening. How are you? How was your week? Oh, man, my weekend was fantastic. T- yeah? T- took, uh, took my little baby girl, Zeely, to the park for the first time, and she got, to, uh, she got to swing on this little toddler swing, and that was her favorite experience of life ever so far, I think. And she also discovered that, uh, that outside is a much, much bigger room than our living room is and that outside she can basically crawl indefinitely and and having that knowledge now has led her to conclude that she no longer wants to be in our living room she wants to be outside and so she is trying to escape at every opportunity she gets well that is a problem you should be tying her down to the couch because if she spends time outside she won't be playing video games that's true that's true we have to we have to discourage that kind of uh, that kind of thinking immediately but anyway we do not want to encourage that uh well i'm glad to hear you had a nice weekend that's awesome hey uh before we get started today brent yes i feel the need to thank our listeners yet again you mean thank them after we've already thanked them to thank them anon uh, to thank them again, they they uh, we we, we kind of gave a shout out last week. We hadn't uh, we hadn't thrown out a thank you in a while for the awesome uh, financial support you guys have shown us and donations being made to the club treasury on the site on the front page of the site. There, we are so so grateful for it. And it keeps the show running. And uh, after we brought it up last week, well, what do you know? But uh, a number of people went back and 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 uh, added some subscription donations and some one time donations. And and uh, we just want to say thank you again. These are the kind of things that allow Brent and I to do this show. It doesn't, you know, it's uh, whatever people give is is much appreciated, and it's what pays for our server costs and and all that kind of thing. And it's what allowed us has allowed us to do the show, Brent, for almost five years now. Five years coming up soonish, and by soonish, I mean the end of this year. That's right. You know, I, I realized, Brent, if only four thousand people mm. gave five dollars each every month. <laughs> what? <laughs> We would be able to bring you guys so much more content. Did you just turn it into Jerry's kids on us? <laughs> we would be able, let me tell you, we would be able to bring you two shows a week, I think. Have we, have, uh, have we ever talked about the Mr. Show sketch where Dr. Doomsday and his, his, la- his satellite laser beam, they hold a telethon every year, uh, so they raise enough money where he won't destroy the Earth? Have we talked about that? No, uh, no we have if not. If you've never seen that Mr. Show sketch, the, the, the Dr. Doomsday's... Uh, laser telethon. You ought to, I'm not saying that I put it on YouTube, but I'm just saying you can probably find it on YouTube. But go watch. Listen, that. Brent, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say if 4,000 listeners right now <laughs> pledge five dollars a month, sign up for five dollars a month, Brent and I will both quit our jobs. We'll take our pants off full time, and we will we will give you eight ten, no ten hours of audio content a week. 
Uh, no, notice I said audio content and not gaming related audio content. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Seriously. Thank you. Thank guys. you guys. Thank you guys very much. We appreciate the donations. Uh, it is what will keep us running for the months and hopefully years to come. So thank you very much. So with that, perhaps we should actually give you a show. Uh, and in doing so, let's, uh, let's start off in the garage, shall we? Uh, I agree. Uh, we're going to start off with a story about a, uh, a big... Angry. Angry Joe. A big, angry Joe, who, uh, of course, is known to many of you. He's a, he's a Let's Play YouTuber. And uh, he's an LGBT activist. Uh, I was not aware of that. And um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Why would you joke about such a thing? And he's done with Nintendo. Uh, there's a story that we're linking to on Polygon in which uh, Angry Joe talks about uh, some difficulty he had uh, after he published a Let's Play of Mario Party 10. Now, of course, Nintendo has tentatively tried to do something in the, in the way of supporting YouTube uh, content with their their creators program, which has not gone over all that Su- supporting well. supporting and taking a cut of yeah taking a forty percent cut on uh, on videos or up to a forty percent cut on videos uh, that are part of a white list of approved Nintendo games that people are allowed to play and put online. Mario Party Ten is not on the white list, so Nintendo hit him with a copyright claim uh, rather than contest it or or anything else. He just he took the video down and he's stated that he's done. He's done with Nintendo. He's not going to, he's just not going to do any more let's plays. And I think that's really too bad. I, I think it's too bad because I think that, I think that let's plays are, or have become a pretty big part of game culture. Certainly they contribute to purchasing decisions and it's too bad that Nintendo is making it so difficult for, it's it's I guess it's too bad that Nintendo is making it so difficult for people to give them free advertising. Yeah, we talked about this before, Brent, on a previous show. This this policy, and it it doesn't necess- it doesn't really make sense to me that Nintendo wants to take a cut of the revenue that's generated uh, by somebody else who is essentially who's essentially giving well, I, them. I get that free. Mar- uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure. I get I, it. I, I totally. Well, no. I, well, I mean, I, I get why the they want it. I totally understand the. Wait, you're making money. We want money. Like I get that no, no, part of it. Right. But it's just like if if the goal is to, it's like, hey, make as much money as you can, and then we'll take 30 percent. Then why would you stop people from doing that? Yeah, I, I, I don't really understand it, but this is certainly... I mean, I'll be curious to see how this shakes out, because the bottom line is, if Nintendo's the only one doing this, uh, then, then they're really doing themselves damage if, people, if, if other YouTubers that are uh, along the lines of Angry Joe uh, stop, stop sh- using their content, showing their content on their channels. Now, uh, if, if Microsoft and Sony jumped on the same bandwagon as Nintendo, you know, Angry Joe would, could, couldn't obviously say, screw it, I'm not doing any of those companies' games or products. Mm. Uh, th- then they might have a problem, but right now it's just Nintendo out there alone. And if if, uh, if other let's play t- YouTubers start uh, doing what Angry Joe has done, Nintendo could really lose some revenue. I, I think, and this is I think they would be wise to uh, take heed of what's happening because these these YouTubers uh, have a direct line to their customer base, yep. an absolute direct line. And frankly, they're much even despite the tarnished reputations of of some of the YouTubers or the let's players in general, uh, based on you know taking money for um, positive uh, reviews, to make certain videos or positive reviews or whatever. Despite that, uh, I, I still think that those YouTubers not, uh, are, are significantly more trusted by the populace at large than any company, even in, even a Nintendo, which is generally a well-regarded company. And so uh, I don't think they're, they're a population that you want to alienate. And I think this is going to really come back to bite them in the ass. I think that uh, I, I think you're right, number one. And the, the other thing that I just want to add to this is that it, it seems to me that, and we talked about this, I think, in the show where we kind of talked about the creators program, but it, again, it just seems to me that Nintendo is like 10 or 15 years behind everybody else in the level of, of savvy that they have for doing anything online. And, you know, this recent announcement that they're going to be partnering with DNA to do mobile games that will utilize their, their properties and characters and all that. It's it's one of those things where I kind of I kind of wish like maybe you should turn policy making for the creators program over to them too because uh, if if there's any other area of your business that could maybe stand to have some fresh eyes 
and uh, and Fresh Blood working on, it's this one. So I, I don't know. I guess my only hope is that I mean, if Nintendo is is going mobile, and everybody kind of thought that like that could never happen, maybe this can get fixed too. As as hopeless as it might seem right now. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I certainly, I, I think it's fixable, but I think they're going to have to take heat and actually do something about it, and not just not not just write this off as as something that's not a big deal. But I agree. Um, something right, that but, is a big deal, though. Oh my god! So this is like. This is technically this is only going to really be news for probably forty people, uh, but <laughs> I think it is so important for those forty people that it deserves a space That's on the like docket. Our Brent. listening audience. That, <laughs> if if forty people sign up for a hundred dollar a month subscription, <laughs> um, uh, for those forty people, this is a big damn deal in my opinion, and that is this: EA is seeking out volunteer play testers to play three to four hours of. Battlefield, uh, Star Wars Battlefront in their San Francisco, California and Vancouver, British Columbia studios on Friday, April 10th. So this show will come out on Tuesday, April 7th. You have a precious couple days to try and get yourself in on this action to go to their offices in San Francisco or Vancouver and uh, play Star Wars Battlefront for three to four hours. Now, they have uh, so a couple things, Brent. Number one, if you do this, not only do you get to play the game for three to four hours, but you will get Two copies of the game for free as a thank you. Was it, was it two uh, copies of this game or just two copies of other EA games? Oh, you're right. I thought it was two copies of Battlefront when they came out. You're right. It was two copies of other select EA games. Well, that's bullshit. So forget it. Don't even go. Yeah, I, I agree. This um, is no, no, no. So uh, they have said that they're not going to be publicizing this footage. You're going to have to uh, sign at- an NDA. You're going to have to sign an NDA and put up your home as collateral. <laughs> um, no, but there is an opportunity here thank, for those of you that live God, in San Francisco. So, so many of us don't have homes anymore. <laughs> That's right. For those of you that live in San Francisco, Vancouver, this is a pretty cool thing. And Brent, on the heels of, you know, we are at this point uh, just about a week and a half away from uh, what will hopefully be uh, not only a, um, a new Star Wars trailer. I think there's rumors there will be a new Star Wars trailer coming out of Star Wars Econathon or whatever it is. Celebration. Um, Star Wars Celebration. But uh, I'm going to call it Star Wars Econathon, if you don't mind. I do um, mind. Uh, and and uh, more but also Ruben Moretz, the minds. world premiere, the world premiere of Star Wars Battlefront gameplay coming out in what should be about a week and a half. So, yeah. uh, so if you live in those areas, get your ass over there and then come back here and tell us about it, please. The thing, the the thing that strikes me as somewhat futile about the NDA is that, like, why they so desperately need to control any play impressions or footage for the six days between that playtest event and then them debuting gameplay at Star Wars Celebration. That's the only part of this. It's like that's like an awfully brief window of time to you know to like maintain control over over what gets out. Of course I guess, you know, the gameplay trailer we're gonna see might it might not exactly be, you know, captured directly off a PS4 system. Or whatever. It's. I mean, they have total control in that environment. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess that's the thing that they gain. Yeah, indeed. Well, uh, either way, go. Please go play this if you live in those cities, and then come back and tell us about it, please. Yeah. <laughs> Screw the NDA. Screw the NDA. Who? I mean, come on. Nobody really takes that seriously. Uh, all right. So uh, on to another uh, big title, an interesting. Uh, what I thought was really interesting, Brent. One of our listeners, Soul Nibbler, mm. uh, posted on uh, the OGS activity feed. Um, a link to uh, a, a YouTuber who he said is one of his absolute favorite YouTubers. His name is Noah Caldwell Gervais. I had not heard of him before. Okay. Um, but uh, it's a video. The video's got about 45,000 views. He's got about 12,000 subscribers. But uh, um, Soul Nibbler says this is one of his favorite YouTubers, and I thought it was a really interesting video. So apparently he does some really in-depth stuff. I haven't had a chance to go through his channel. The video we are linking to is called, and this is, I think, maybe your joke at the top of the show was alluding to, was uh, yes, uh, probably. the complete Call of Duty single-player campaign critique for PC. And basically, um, I've watched about the first five minutes of it, Brandon. It's a two-hour video. Um, that I'm uh, very interested in watching, actually. Uh, and he's basically, you know, his premise at the outset is that, like, everybody thinks that the, um, that the, Call you know, all the games. Call of Duty games are, are essentially the same. Like the Fast and uh, Furious and it, films. Like the Fast and Furious films. And he's, he's, he kind of goes back and he's addressing, 
uh, analyzing each Call of Duty game, 11 of them in the series, and talks about how that's not the case, and, and he does like a history of each game. And, and I thought it was really interesting, Brett. I mean, as I said, I only watched the first five minutes, but it immediately took me back uh, to playing Call of Duty in the early days. Uh, uh, and I remember so many things about that, even just, even just looking at the HUD and the font and all that stuff. It, it takes me back immediately. And it seemed really, really interesting. So I thought that uh, we would share with the listeners on behalf of Soul Nibbler. Uh, it's a, it's a great pick. I'm I'm not you know particularly enamored of the Call of Duty franchise, but I really want to sit down and watch this whole thing because the first ten minutes or so is it's, it's really interesting. Uh, it's a lot of insight, and it's interesting to get his perspective on uh, you know on on what the Call of Duty franchise was kind of initially setting out to do to distinguish itself, and that's interesting to look back on given the fact that. That you know, a lot of people kind of hold up Call of Duty as, as he points out in the video. A lot of people kind of hold up Call of Duty as an example of the indistinctness of modern games. You know, they're all just you know military. They're all near future military shooters now. You know, whatever. And but you know, when Call of Duty started out, it was trying to do some very specific things to to buck the trend. And so it's really kind of fascinating to to go back to that point in history. And I'm anxious to kind of see you know, how it evolves uh, within the context of this two-hour vid doc or whatever. It's it's very cool thus far. Yeah, it is. I'm excited to watch the rest of it, and we thought you guys would be too, so we thought, why don't we give you a little gift? We'll share it with you. The only thing that could have been better is if they could have gotten Kevin Spacey to narrate it. Or if it had been about a different game series. <laughs> guys we are out of the garage and into the clubhouse we're going to kick our feet up and chat for a while about something a little bit more in depth in the gaming industry but before we do brent's going to run through last week's poll for us and break down for us how the answers shook out uh third time's the charm what is uh what is your take on the uk education partnership strategy for underage gamers this was uh, a topic that we discussed last week dealing with this uk educational partnership that um that inform people parents, it, it, you know, basically. Is, is threatening parents to, to go to, to the UK equivalent of child services if they find out that underage kids are playing 18 plus uh, games. Here is how the outlaw gamer audience reacted to that. In last place with 8% of the vote, you said, I think it's a good and effective strategy. 34% of you said, I think they should be involved on some level, but this wasn't the right way. And 58% of you joined Lauren and I in proclaiming this to be massive overreach. Uh, this isn't an issue for educators or government. Um, so thanks very much for, uh, thanks very much for voting in the poll. Thanks very much for sharing your thoughts and your comments uh, on that subject. We really do appreciate that and, uh, and always enjoy uh, reading what you guys have to say, because you do bring so much insight and so many different perspectives to uh, what we discuss on the show. So thank you. Indeed. Thank you guys very much for that, as always. Uh, this week, we have a new topic. This is a topic that was brought to us uh, by one of our listeners, Whammy Time 91. It's a great name. Whammy Time. Uh, he, made, he wrote a post. He was just kind of musing on this particular topic and wrote a post on the activity feed uh, of the website, as I said. And so I'm going to go ahead and read that, Brent, as a jumping off point. Uh, Whammy Time's post read as follows. I have a question, he says, or she, I suppose. Uh, is the minimap ruining gaming? Don't get me wrong, I'm grateful to the minimap in a lot of games, but sometimes I ask myself, is it really necessary? I feel like you can almost play the entire game just looking at the minimap in some cases. For example, Assassin's Creed Shadow of Mordor. Whenever we talk about about these open world games, we talk about immersion, and I think the minimap has a big effect on us, on taking us out of that immersion just by being there. I realize that a lot of games have the option to turn off the feature, as well as a few other HUD options, but why doesn't every game do this? I don't think it would be difficult to program a script to toggle the minimap on and off. However, if you ask me, it's better off not being there in the first place. Look at the Souls games in Bloodborne. You're basically left to your own devices, and the game is all the better for it. Have you ever played Call of Duty Hardcore mode online? It removes pretty much every HUD option, and the result is, in my opinion, how Call of Duty multiplayer should have been in the first place. Tense, tactical, and above all, rewarding. I could go on listing games, but I don't have all day. What's your thoughts on the minimap? 
Uh, so this is Whammy Times Post, Brett, and I thought this question. was really interesting. It is a fascinating question. We haven't really we haven't done you know, we've talked a lot about we haven't done like a like a discussion on just like a game mechanic in a long time. No, we've we've been talking a lot about the industry, and actually, when I posted this in the. Yeah. When I posted this in the document uh, this week, I realized we hadn't talked about a mechanic in a while. But it's 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 um, uh, very germane, actually. I had an experience last week, and uh, I real or a couple of weeks ago, excuse me. Uh, I realize now I'm gonna I can start talking about the golf club now that I'm not uh, employed by them uh, w- within the within the confines of professionalism, of course. But there's no conflict of interest anymore, and so. Right. Uh, I will be talking about it a little bit uh, when we get uh, when we hit the road and talk about what we're playing. But I had an experience in the golf club uh, shortly before I left the company, where it was I was actually talking to you, Brent, and, and I don't know that you and I have talked about this, but I was talking to you. You had sent me a text message or a, or a message over um, Google Hangouts, and it pops up in the right hand corner of the screen on the computer, a little little IM box. Okay. And it popped up, and we were talking, and I was waiting to hear a response from you, so I didn't minimize that little IM box. And that IM box, I was playing the golf club at the time, doing some work. And that IM box sits directly over uh, the piece of the HUD in the golf club that shows you, after you've taken a swing, whether or not how straight you hit the ball. Okay. Okay? So... Uh, so what I found happening, and I, I mind you, I put hundreds and hundreds of hours into this game, uh, and uh, what I found happening was something that I had never noticed before. And because you had, uh, because I, you know, I was waiting to hear back from you, and this IM box was covering that piece of the HUD, I, st- I, I stopped looking down to the bottom right corner of the screen when I immediately hit the ball. Okay, and I didn't even realize I was I had been doing this. Right. Um, but I, what I had been doing apparently is I, I would swing the ball, and the first thing I did was look down to the bottom right to see if I hit it straight or not. Okay. And by not doing that, I was now watching the ball come off of my club face and fly through the air. And it completely changed how the game felt. It made the game more immersive, I would so think. much more immersive, feel so much more like... Because in real life, when I hit a golf ball, I take a swing, the ball comes off the club face, and I look up and watch the ball go down the fairway. And so I, be, I was... By covering up that piece of the HUD, I was actually replicating what I do in real life. And it was so powerful that I immediately emailed the executive or the producer of the game and the design, game's designer and, and brought their attention to this and said, hey, we should consider this. This really just changed how I'm experiencing the game in a very powerful and emotional, fundamental way. Uh, and so I thought it was really interesting when Whammy posted this because I, I just had an experience like that that was yeah. very, very powerful. And, and I think he's, he's really hit the nail on the head. Um, I, I don't know if I feel that strongly about it. It's interesting because I was thinking about this very thing very recently myself in playing Skyrim, which I'll talk a little bit about when we get to the road, but, uh, I've been using a lot of mods with Skyrim and I've been looking into mods that change change some of the, some of the gameplay mechanics a little bit, introduce survival aspects and things like that. And I was thinking about uh, when I used to play DayZ and how, how that game experience was really interesting based on the fact that you didn't have, you didn't have a, a mini HUD, you didn't have a mini map. Even if you had a regular map, it didn't mark your position uh, on the map unless you got the in-game GPS. Uh, I mean, you could be looking, like, I would pull up a, a map on my iPad and leave it sitting next to the, the monitor, but I'd still have to be kind of figuring out where I was the, the way you would actually do in orienteering. You're still, you know, you're looking at a map. Right. You don't necessarily know where you are until you find some major landmarks and that kind of thing. And I was thinking that that experience might be kind of cool to have in Skyrim, and there are, there are mods and things that will introduce, uh, you know, survival aspects similar to Daisy, like hypothermia, uh, thirst, hunger, that kind of stuff. And um, I was thinking about the fact, you know, Skyrim just doesn't, it doesn't have a mini map exactly, but it does have a compass at the top of the screen. And there will be icons on the compass that will show you if you're walking in the direction of a, um, of a, of a structure that you can enter or a town or something like that. And if you haven't discovered it, then it's kind of grayed out. And, but you know, you can look at like, like yesterday I was playing the game and, I saw like, oh, there there's, must be a cave or something over here that I haven't found yet. So I walk in that direction, and then sure enough, I find a cave, and it comes up and says, oh, you know, such and such hollow discovered, or, you know, whatever. 
And I was thinking about, I was, you know, there's a lot of mods for Skyrim that are specifically about immersion. And I was thinking about whether or not I would want this. And I was thinking about the Grand Theft Auto games, uh, which obviously make a lot of use of the mini map uh, as you're, as you're playing and whatnot and thinking, you know, could I get away without it? And the answer is at some point in my, at some point in my career of playing a Grand Theft Auto game, yes, I could I could do without a minimap. But I was also trying to think about getting dropped into, say, Liberty City and Grand Theft Auto uh, Grand Theft Auto Four, getting dropped into Liberty City at the beginning of the game and not having a minimap, and just having to get around based on looking at street signs or following directions to landmarks and things like that. And it would, I mean, it would absolutely change the gameplay in a really profound way. And it would be immersive, having a GPS notwithstanding, but I, I don't know if I would want to do it. Like, I don't know if, if it would become so frustrating that I, would, I, I wouldn't want to do it that way. Like, at some point, I could kind of do without it, but I don't know if I would want to start the game that way or not. On the other hand, though, you know, games like DayZ and stuff that are basically like what he's talking about, that have no, you know, no kind of help on that front... I do really enjoy those experiences, but it's a very different experience. It's much slower paced. And a lot of the gameplay is just figuring out where I am and where I want to go and so forth. Well, hold on a second. So let me, let me, let me posit this or pose this to you, Brent. And this is, I actually was thinking the same thing you were thinking. I was thinking like, I was thinking the same um, thing he was thinking. uh, Imagine you're playing GTA five. And you had to learn, you had to actually learn all the streets, Right. right? I mean, I just moved to a new, geographic location in the real world yep. and, and i i i couldn't i mean i, I i've been here a month and i, I barely know where i'm going how would, how right would you so get how long would gps like what what would that look like and, and then i started to think you know maybe maybe and it's not necessarily relevant if this is exactly what whammy time was talking about or not but maybe it, it doesn't mean not having something to indicate where to go but actually the HUD elements themselves. And so I started thinking, like, so why do we have, why, why do we have a, a mini-map like that? And, and I have to, you know, so we need something to help us get, so we're not, like, actually reading stops or street signs, right? right. But, but my assumption is that games like, uh, I think of Mafia 2, games like uh, the Grand Theft Auto, like, they feel, my guess is that they've made a decision, like, this feels less, a little bit less gamey if we make it a small HUD element than if we, for example, um, you know, like the crew or something else, we put giant arrows in the world so we can help tell you how to get to an objective, but you're not constantly looking down into one of the corners of the screen. And and to us, you know, it's, it's, it takes, it's less gamey. It feels more real if we don't have something like that. But I would, that's what I was thinking. Like I was thinking, so the purpose of the mini map, what is it? And are there other ways to do it? Yes, there are. So why would somebody like GTA or Red Dead or whatever choose the mini map over some sort of in-game 3D indicator that would keep your focus in the world, yep. right? Uh, instead of pulling it down to one of the corners of the screen. And my guess is a giant floating blue arrow would feel wrong in Red Dead Redemption. That's the, that's the theory, right? Yeah. But I have to say that... Uh, in a game like um, Dead Space, for example, uh, where they had an in-game indicator, there was no mini-map, but you could push down on one of the sticks and a light would come out. And show you the path you needed to be going. And show you the pathway. Um, That did not feel overly gamified to me. uh, uh, That's very true. And I don't know if that's exactly the same point that he's making, you know, because I could very easily apply that to the mini map in GTA and say, it's just a GPS. I mean, they could make it just a GPS. It's like, look, you got a GPS in your car and it shows you how to get to the objectives that, that you need to get to, you know, I mean, it's as there's, there's no greater stretch than that. And, and it's, I think that it, it maintains immersion, just as well as something like the thing you're talking about in Dead Space. But maybe what he's talking about is, is just, you know, stripping away even that layer, or at least giving you the option to. I think that's the main thing, is he's saying, like, why not? Why, why don't devs let us take that away if we want to? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, m- maybe that's what he's saying. And certainly, I think he went a little further to say, why wouldn't they just take it away for us? Uh, and then maybe, get, and I think the answer to that is they want to keep it, uh, as you know, it, it behooves them to to not make the game too hard. Yeah, I mean, certainly there are games that do it. Bloodborne does it. The, the all you know all of the From Software games, 
uh, have have done it and, and they've had great success with it. But they're not making money on the level of, say, a Grand Theft Auto or a Call of Duty or, I mean, they're being successful, but, you know, the, these these companies, uh, you know, the, the games that we're talking about specifically, the Assassin's Creed, the Grand Theft Autos, the, the Call of Duties, th- those are making money on orders of magnitude greater of Bloodborne uh, that, are, that are significant. And so I think that there is an aspect of... You know, the, you know, Bloodborne and Dark Souls, Demon Souls, those games are punishing. I mean, absolutely punishing and the extreme example. Yeah. But I think I think Dead Space, something like Dead Space, um, uh, and even did, I'm trying to think, did Uncharted have an indicator of which way to go? Um, you know, which is fundamentally different than, of course, like having an indicator of which way to go in a game like Dead Space or Uncharted, for example. You know, th- those are games where yeah. it literally is an indicator of like, go this way. And, well, and the mini maps tend to have more information like here's a you know here's a store where you can stop or you can actually in the case of call of duty multiplayer you can see other enemies on your mini map the, the thing about that though is you know the, the 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 mini map or the hud overlay is a different mechanic in different kinds of games i mean you know the, 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 right, the fact yes. that the fact that the level design on the uncharted games leads you where you need to go uh, the levels have a flow to them. They they channel you where you need to be. They restrict your movement so that you can really only go the direction you need you need to go. It's a vastly different experience in playing an open world game. And uh, I think that I think that um, I think that the the main reason that it's there is player frustration. I, I think that it, it's not that people couldn't necessarily do it any other way. And I, I haven't looked, but I mean, I would imagine that, you know, there's probably a mod for Skyrim that'll take the compass away from you, you know, and you just have to get around, uh, you know, you just have to get around by looking at the signs on the road and things like that. And, and honestly, I would be down for playing like that. that. That would be an interesting experience, but it might not be, it might not be for everybody. It might be, you know, that might be something for the hardcore of the hardcore. So I think something like that as an option in games is cool. Uh, certainly there, there came a point I'm thinking right now of, uh, of GTA San Andreas and, uh, there was certainly a point in playing that game where I had tooled around Los Santos enough. I knew my way around and if, if they had a way to make street signs readable where you didn't have to like come to a complete stop at an intersection to see you know, what road you were on or what road you were, you were crossing that kind of thing. Right. There was, there was certainly a point I reached in that game after dozens of hours of playthrough where I could have gotten by on just that. Or, you know, somebody says, Oh, it's at the, it's at the, by the ball, by the ballpark. You know, it's it's by that, uh, you know, that clucking restaurant over by the ballpark or it's, you know, it's up here, you know, like in the Hills just past, uh, you know, just past this or whatever. And I can totally see the appeal of that, but it's but it's like that learning curve it's it's like it's that getting to that point it's like having enough familiarity with the world that it is plausible for you to actually do those things as opposed to just stumbling through everything i mean like you and i talked about daisy and you always you always chided me a bit on using the using like the ipad map uh to kind of figure out where I wanted to go or whatever. And you were like, yeah, I mean, come on. Like, no, like, no, I, no, no, no. I used to have a, a map pulled up all the time playing that okay, game. Okay, well, then you just broke my balls for it because. But my point, though, is that the, I, the argument that I would, I would give to that, though, is the character I'm supposed to be playing is supposed to be from Chinaris. And so it would make sense that I would have some basic understanding that if I follow this road, I'm going to hit, you know, Chernogorsk. And if I keep going, I'm going to hit Electro and, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, I, I would have some basic knowledge of towns and where things were, and I would know that you know there was an airfield to the northwest or whatever. And so, I think that I think that uh, it, it's. I guess what I'm saying is that to me it feels like such a such a specific thing to a player in a game that I, I don't feel like I could make some blanket kind of statement like, yeah, we should get rid of mini huds. But I do think that there's an opportunity, particularly in open world games. I do think that there's an interesting opportunity in open world games to to increase that level of immersion by forcing you to rely on the in-game world, whether it's street signs, whether it's, you know, like the like the signs in Skyrim, like where you come to an intersection 
and there's a bunch of signs that say, you know, this way to, you know, to white run or, you know, whatever. If it's, if it's just things like that, things that make sense with the lore of the, of the game world, I had to say that I, I do like that idea that does appeal to me on some level because I really enjoy those games where I can kind of have that level of, of immersion. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems to me like there's two, there's two pieces here. There's, there's removing it for the sake of sort of making it more challenging, yeah. um, which is one piece of it. And then there's removing it sake for removing it for the sake of immersion. And, and I will say, I mean, I, I urge people to, con- to, to think about that idea. I really think that pulling the eyes to the corners of the screen hurts immersion in a way that uh, I don't think it has been given credit. And, and I, I think I had that realization when something artificially made me stop pulling my gaze to the corner. And I realized how much more immersed I, immersed I felt uh, looking into the game and not pulling my eyes down to the corner on a frequent basis. And, and uh, I, I think it's interesting. I think, I think it's worth exploring. So uh, I think this is a point, Brent, where we turn it over to our listeners, hear what they have to say about the subject. I'm curious to know if, if, they, if they notice that. I'm curious to know if there's people out there uh, that regularly turn off their HUD or immediately go in looking to turn off their HUD. And if they do, uh, if you do, why? Do you do it because you prefer, uh, you, because you're trying to make the game harder or because you just don't want sort of, uh, you don't want the HUD kind of getting into your game and, and getting in the way of your game? And, and, and uh, also, what specific games do you do that in? Like, I would really love to know the kinds of games where you do that sort like of thing. Like open, open world versus, you know, more linear type games. Yeah, exactly. Is that what exactly. you mean? Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting topic, and I'm really uh, grateful to Whammy Time for posting it. And now we will turn it over to you guys to hear what you have to say. Right, guys we're gonna hit the road talk about some of the games that we've been playing this week so throttle up and i was gonna say buckle up but that really does not work in the context of the the motorcycle motif so listen to what lauren has to say now about bloodborne put on your damn helmets um all right so i've got three games this week brent i've been kind of bopping back and forth although none of them to to an, a significant extent because i was out of town for the weekend all but right. um uh so first on my list this week is bloodborne yes. Um, here, here's what I have to say to you about Bloodborne. I listen. <sighs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I am so it's just a sigh of frustration is what I got. There. I cannot decide if I like this game. Still I can't just can't decide. decide. No, I don't know. I mean, I haven't played it much this week, but that whole experience of, I just, I was telling, uh, who was, I was talking to my uh, nephews about this game this over the weekend and, and, uh, they, they have played it through a couple of times already. And, and I was telling them that I just, I, I can't decide if I like the game or not. I don't know if I'm having fun when I play the game versus I just sort of feel like I'm accomplishing something because it's so hard, mm-hmm. um, that, that I feel like I'm accomplishing something, but I'm not sure if that's fun, <laughs> if I'm having fun. And well, so uh, that's, I don't know. That's interesting. Doesn't that kind of go back to that whole, like that discussion we've had about, you know, carrot and stick mechanics and something like world of Warcraft, where they, they kind of compel you to play and it's not really about I'm having fun so much as I'm accomplishing something. I'm leveling up. I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm getting missions completed or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, yes, that's exactly right. And I, I just, I, I don't know. And so I actually made a conscious decision this week to take Bloodborne out of the, the disk drive okay. uh, and put the Order 1886 back in because I was curious. If you'd miss it? If I would go, well, if I'd go back to the Order 1886, which is a, significantly easier game, uh, if not just an easy game. Yeah. Uh, and if I would go back to the Order 1886, it would make me feel like, wow, the Order sucks and, and I should be playing Bloodborne. And, and, and that wasn't the, the response that I had. And I'll talk about the Order uh, in just a couple of minutes. But yeah, I'm, I'm still on the fence with Bloodborne. I'm, I, if you catch me at any given moment of the day, if you came up to me and asked me to buy it, I might just sell it to you at any given moment of the day. And then you know, two hours later, I might be thinking about going and playing it when I get home. And I, I yeah, I don't know where I stand on this one yet. So there'll be more to come on That's this. Crazy. One. Yep. Um, I've been playing Skyrim. I thought that I would have been playing Alien Isolation in Skyrim, but I'm just playing Skyrim, and um, it is it is it is that good and addictive. It, it is. It's really really fun. And I have gotten into it in a big, big way. The, the thing about playing Skyrim the way I'm playing it right now on PC 
and with a focus on exploring mods is it's more problematic than I imagined it would be. I, I kind of thought it would be this, this great sandbox of experimentation and, uh, and it would be really fun, but it, it's actually like doing the mods thing is really a rabbit hole. And I, I, I had not, I had not anticipated maybe not for everybody. Maybe it's me, you know, I'm being slightly obsessive compulsive or something like that. Um, but I have found that playing this game and playing with mods really is, I find that I'm splitting my time almost half and half between reading and researching and installing mods and then playing the game. And I'll play the game for 15, 20 minutes and then I'll quit and I'll go back over to the Nexus Mods website, and I'll look. No, I'll give you an example. Like I'm walking along. I'm very, I'm very familiar with this cycle. I'm Brad. walking along, and I'm looking at the grass. I'm like, that, that grass looks kind of, kind of hinky. I wonder if I could get better grass. Quit the game. Go over to Nexus Mods. Start looking for things to upgrade grass. Okay, so now I'm looking at a bunch of grass mods, and I'm looking at the most. Right. Now, you're, right. now you're comparing. You're, right. like, you're like shopping. shopping. You're looking at the reviews, the Amazon reviews, the reviews of the various gra- grass mods. I'm looking mods. at the number of endorsements, the number of downloads. I'm looking at the number of require. Okay, do, is, does this require a bunch of other mods that I'm going to have to install? Do I already have the required mods that this thing has? Um, and it, you know, how is it going to impact performance? Because by and large... I'm getting away 60 frames a second using like 4K texture packs. I, I'm kind of striking a relatively good balance between graphic uh, graphic performance and graphic aesthetics. And so, you know, how is this gonna how is this gonna impact performance? I'm gonna lose frames per second, and you know, all this stuff. And at some point, I'll be like, I played the game for 20 minutes, and I've been sitting here look you know looking into this grass mod for 45 minutes. And then, you know, I'll, I'll pick one, I'll install it, I'll go back in the game, I'll play it for an hour, and then I'll be like, yeah, I kind of want to try a different grass mod. This one's not really, it's not really doing much for me. It's like that kind of thing, you know? So I've really actually had to kind of restrain myself a bit and just say, you know what, I'll install maybe one new mod a day. And I'll research it in my downtime. Like if I'm sitting upstairs, we're hanging out in the living room, Z's playing on the floor, my wife's maybe watching TV or something. I'll sit there on the iPad and I'll, I'll browse through Nexus mods or something like that. And I'll browse through Nexus mods and I'll, I'll pick out a few things that, that look interesting. And the next time I sit down to play, I'll install one of them and then, you know, keep playing. But even that is problematic because some of the things I want to try uh, like the the one I was talking about in the last section, that there's a there's a mod called Frostfall that adds some some kind of survival aspects to the game, and I'm really intrigued by it. It sounds really really fun and something that would be right up my alley. But they say flat out, it's really better if you start a new game when you do this. If you try to introduce this into an existing game, it can be problematic. And so I'm like, oh, do I do I want to risk you know like screwing up my game? Because I've had actually had to reinstall twice. Uh, because I've I've installed mods that have conflicted and I've ended up not not doing right. things correctly and I've had to reinstall and I really don't want to do that right. again. On and on and on it goes. But to uh, to bring this story to a conclusion, I love playing Skyrim. I'm having a fantastic time with it, and because I have limited time, I'm I'm really having to kind of triage what I do. I'm sticking predominantly to main quest things and then side quest stuff that interests me for some specific reason. If it, if it in any way, it sounds just like a, like a bounty pickup mission or something like that. And ah, I don't need that. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll go do something else. So I'm being pretty, I'm being pretty cutthroat with my time as far as that kind of thing. And just really trying to play the stuff in the game that I'm interested in and not, not get too sidetracked, which is easy to do in that game. And I'm having to sort of so apply easy. the same philosophy to, the mod stuff. I'm, I'm probably not going to do every single, I'm not going to try every single mod I come across, uh, even though I really want to, because if I do that, I'll end up doing nothing but installing and uninstalling mods and playing for five minutes to see how much better the, you know, how much better the sunset looks instead of actually playing the game. And so I, I kind of feel at this point, I'm almost feeling like the smarter strategy would be to play through the game the, the main storyline, I mean. Play through the main storyline, do some side quests here and there, but just play through the main storyline and go ahead and finish the game. Then 
install a bunch of these mods and just play through another game where I'm mostly just kind of doing sandbox type stuff. It, it, it's such a good dude. It's such a good game. I'm glad. I'm excited that you've revisited it. I'm glad to hear you're having such a great time with it and enjoying the modding part of it as the well. The modding part of it is very, very cool. It's it is. It's exceptionally. I mean, it's it's just amazing. It's amazing how specifically you can tune that game to your tastes, your play style. Uh, I mean, you know, everything. You know, like really fundamental game mechanic stuff. Um, it, it, it's it's uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's a great game. All right, so uh, my other two games, Brent, The Order 1886, I alluded to the fact that I had sort of forced myself to put that disc back in just to compare and contrast it with Bloodborne. Yeah. Um, I, I'm still in the same place about that game. It actually kind of feels like Bloodborne a little bit in the context of um, just not sure how I feel about it. The game is... Uh, it, 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 it misses so many opportunities, but I, I'm, I'm watching... I'm playing the game, and I'm thinking to myself, if you can accept this game for what it is, if you, if you don't judge the game and you think of it as like you know, uh, 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 an experimentation almost, the way you might like Heavy Rain or something like that, where where this company is trying to make something that is more c- cinematic, and I don't use that term flippantly, but more like a movie, right. um, and you, th- you accept that about this game, and you recognize that it is as much interactive movie as it is video game, and you're willing to accept that, and, and you are able to, to obtain the game for a dollar amount that feels okay with you in that context... 20 bucks, 25 bucks. I, I think the game is enjoyable and it's really, there's so many things about it that are really, really polished. I just, I think, I think it's a missed opportunity because I think this game could have been a game of the year contender if they understood uh, the, 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 the nature of pacing in a video game. And they didn't, I mean, again, they, they're, they're constant taking away of control from the player turns it from something melodic to something that's just staccato and, and it's 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 uh fits and starts you know having control and but but i'm still kind of enjoying it i'm still intrigued enough to keep playing it so uh that's kind of where i am i'm only i like I'm, I'm on i think level or whatever mission six and there's like 16 in the game so it's certainly not been a, a three hour or four hour or five hour game for me okay. uh, and I, I intend to keep playing it well, I that's that's as I mean I th- I was going to say that's almost a better endorsement than you've given a Bloodborne at this point. Well, I guess it is because the truth is is I don't know if I intend to keep right, playing Bloodborne. Right. Um, uh, so yeah, so so we'll see. I will again. This is an ongoing story. I didn't play a lot this week, so I don't have you know a lot of specific um, uh, stories to share about it. I did play uh, the two sections of the game that we all saw in the. Um, in the media leading up to it, the section in the kitchen, where if you remember, Brent, I had I had a real issue with that constant like rebel down, rebel down, right. um, and that was in that section. But watching that section made me realize that the whole you know the whole game is not that bad. Um, and then uh, the section in the um, uh, um, uh, hot air, not hot air balloon, but the airship, you know. Um, where they eventually end up in sort of like this big open staircase area. That, that's something we had seen. And so I feel like at this point I have played my way through all of the stuff I had seen before. So I'm looking forward to uh, not encountering uh, scenes that I've seen before. And so, yeah, so I'll keep you, I'll keep you up to date on that. Um, and then the other game I would mention is the golf club. I've been playing and I played it every week since uh, as long as I've been working there. But as you, I said earlier, I don't really talk about it much because uh, because it was a conflict of interest that is not anymore. And so um, uh, I don't know how many golfers we have out there, real or video game related, but um, uh, I, I will say that I, I'm, I, I booted up the game after a few weeks of not playing and for the first time since not being an employee of the company, so therefore not uh, having it be related to, excuse me, to work. Um, and I was blown away by how good this game is and how good the designers are in this game and how many amazing courses there are. Uh, HB Studios, the makers of the game, have added yet another theme and a bunch more tools like uh, retaining walls and fences and stuff to build out more robust, uh, realistic and interesting golf courses. And the, the designers, uh, you know, the community designers are uh, really going to town with those tools. And it, it just, I mean, it really, uh, and Brent, we've talked about this before, and I know you're not a big sports game guy with the exception of maybe racing, yeah. but um, uh, it really replicates the emotional experience of playing a sport better than any game I've ever, any sport game I've ever played. Like, it really feels emotionally very similar, uh, and particularly if you turn off the HUD elements, it really feels very similar 
to what it feels like to actually playing a round of golf on the weekend. It's very impressive in that way. Uh, and I highly recommend it to people. It's 35 bucks. It goes on sale all the time for, I think they're, they're coming out actually with a, uh, with a, like a, a game of the year edition that's going to have the upcoming DLC, which is a single player mode and two more, uh, themes. And I think that's going to be priced at, Thirty nine ninety nine, I think, and so the regular game will go down to twenty nine ninety nine. But um, it, it, it's one of the best sports video games I have ever played uh, for replicating a real experience. Now, if what you want is to feel like a pro, like you want to feel like an NFL player or a pro golfer or whatever, that's that's not what this game is. This game, you know, th- this game feels like like playing golf feels to me, and, and and I think it's just fantastic. So I thought I would throw that out there because I haven't really talked much about the game in the past due to conflict of interest but it is an amazing no game whether or not whether or not my name is in the credits uh it, it it is an amazing game and i highly highly recommend it for anybody uh who's interested in video game golf at all and you can play uh i play on the ps4 and and uh you can play my ghost balls and, and we can play you know you can play live <laughs> calm down that uh, is the chi- title of the episode he's a, he's a child really <laughs> um you can play against each other asynchronously as well as live. It's a, it's a great game, so I highly encourage it. So with that, Brent, with your inability to hear your adult friend say the word balls, uh, I think we should wrap up the show and turn it over to our listeners, as we always do. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to hear what you have to say on the subjects we talked about on this week's show, including the Golf Club, the Order 1886, Skyrim, and Bloodborne. Uh, we want to hear what you think about HUD elements in general and the relationship to immersion and gameplay, and specifically uh, mini maps and, and open world and multiplayer online multiplayer games. If you turn them off or on, what you think of them being there, if you think they detract from immersion, uh, we want to hear what your thoughts are on that. And of course, what we talked about at the top of the show, the complete Call of Duty single-player campaign critique. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that once you had a chance to watch through it the fact that ea is looking for playtesters for star wars battlefront in san francisco and vancouver this week and the fact that angry joe has said you know what nintendo go take a flying leap we want to hear what your thoughts are on that and everything else in the gaming world as usual he is brent adams i am lauren baumgarten and remember you don't stop playing because you get old you get old because you stop playing 